0: Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world in the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and this week we are looking at what Italy's developing political crisis situation, whatever you call it, means for the future of Europe and European foreign policy. And to help me make sense of this, I have two amazing experts we have an ECFR council member, Natalie Tocci, who's also the director of EI, which is the main foreign policy think tank in Italy, and um, in fact it was a name who was being bandied around um, as a possible foreign minister of Italy a few weeks, a few weeks ago in the, in the press. And uh, also joining me again to talk about Italy is my colleague Silvia Francescon, who is the head of ECFR's office in Rome and uh, has worked in various different capacities in in, uh, different Italian governments before that as a a civil servant, but uh, is now free to explain this rollicking, confusing and uh, slightly uh, frightening political story to our listeners. Um, Natalie, why don't you start by telling me where you think we are at the moment?
1: Uh Well, we're in a mess, (laughs) is the short answer. Uh, The slightly more elaborate version of of the mess uh, is that I think we are uh, at a... I think this is really the beginning of a crisis. Uh, I think that uh, the 4th of March uh, elections opened up a prospect, which was probably an inevitable one in many respects, meaning... Uh, the rise of populism and nationalism in the country that had been a feature already for a number of years, uh, leading to an outcome, an electoral outcome, in which these were the majority forces uh, in the the country. It was an odd majority looked at from the traditional left-right spectrum. Not so odd if we I think that the main political division nowadays, and this is not just an Italian story, I think this is a broader European and in fact probably a broader Western uh, story, is the vertical axis that separates the open and the closed. And on that open-closed axis, uh, actually the Five Star Movement and the Lega had quite a lot in common. So this was uh, the chance, quote unquote, that they had to uh, start going beyond the words and going beyond an electoral campaign and starting to put their words in in action through through government. Um, Now, in all fairness, I think the president did uh, give this a chance, and I think he was in good faith uh, throughout uh, these, uh, these recent weeks. Um, and as days went by, he realised that, uh, and it came to a crux uh, last night, uh, he realised that particularly the Lega, particularly Salvini, were uh, laying out a nice little trap uh, for him. Now, uh, in particular, the whole drama over the figure of who the economy minister uh, should be, and uh, the name that in particular the Lega was pushing for, uh, Savona was not the he's not a novice in fact he's 81 or 82 I can't recall uh, and he's been minister before he has indeed taken critical positions vis-a-vis the euro uh, in particular uh, but we're not talking about uh, a complete madman to be to be fair now the minute in which Mattarella had doubts concerning this name particularly given his views on the euro and he uh, proposed to the league in particular that it's number two uh, Giorgetti could become economy minister. Uh, Salvini said no, so it became obvious that uh, this was obviously a trap being being laid out. Now, notwithstanding all this, I think that uh, very unfortunately, what the president did is he f- jumped straight into that trap. You know, having seen it, rather than avoided it, he, he jumped straight into it. And what do I mean by this? I mean that um, now we're at a stage in which we're going to have a uh, technical government taking shape, uh, in particular being led by Cotterelli, uh, who is... Uh, Uh, an experienced uh, technocrat, uh, and you cannot get more technocratic than him, uh, and technocracy is not the most popular thing uh, in in, in the country. So I fear that uh, throughout the few months that this government will have, uh, the electoral campaign will rage on. And the prospect that I think lies ahead of us is an electoral outcome, be it in the autumn, be it in February, uh, in which it will not be uh, necessary to have a coalition government between the Five Star Movement and the Lega. uh, And it will probably be possible to have a far more homogeneous, uh, ideologically speaking, uh, government, uh, which is a pure uh, right-wing nationalist government led by Matteo Salvini.
0: So, Silvia, how do you feel about the the situation which Natalie's uh, talked about? Because I think on the one hand, what we're seeing is this axis developing between uh, the populists and the establishment represented by the financial markets and by Mattarella Um, but at the same time there were before that happened there was this kind of strange moment where the two tribes of Italian populism managed to to come together which was also quite a, a big deal, I think, because if you look at Europe today, what you've traditionally seen is populists of the left um, who are anti-austerity, populists of the right who are more anti-immigration, uh, but they've been staying in their own lanes. But, and this government sort of seemed to promise a template for um, uh, a combination of these two forces, which could be quite scary if you think about the future of European politics. What do you think is worse, if if that succeeds as a project, or if um, the uh, Salvini gamble that Natalie described pays off and uh, and you get a, a kind of lega majority in the next elections?
2: Well, Mark, I'm very very worried to be honest, and I totally share Natalie's picture of uh, the state of things. I'm worried. First of all, uh, I think uh, it is we should have not reached this point. I think there were some signals we should have get before coming to, to this end. And uh, it should have been avoided uh, as much as we could. And of course, I'm referring in particular to the head of state, and I share the view that uh, he has jumped into trap. And perhaps also the Five Star Movement has jumped into trap. From, from the League. Uh, I have to say that the two, the Five Star and the League, which could have created a sort of a Penta League government, uh, are a bit different uh, in terms of uh, populism. Uh, the Five Star, I would define them more as a sta- anti-establishment. Whereas the League is goes much more into a Lepanist, a Trumpist, a urbanist kind of uh, attitude uh, that I would summarize with a sort of xenophobic attitude. So uh, the agreement that they have reached, uh, the so-called contract, after, I mean, long negotiation uh, where both parties, the League and the Five Star, had to compromise quite a lot, had to leave a lot was such was a sort of a social security contract whereby there was the agreement that uh, the the league would have dealt with security and migration uh, you know angle and uh, for the five star would have been the welfare the socio economic uh, thing um,
0: and then they both agreed on Closing up to to Putin and changing the, the foreign policy of Italy towards Russia.
2: Well, uh, for sure they would have, uh, for sure they would have claimed that, for sure they would have been outspoken about it, perhaps also in Brussels, uh, in order to answer, to give a response to their constituency though I'm not sure they would succeed in the end result because of course sanctions cannot be lifted unilaterally It is uh, we know it, they are uh, European sanctions but at least they could say we tried so I think it was more of a tactic rather than a real end result and in the contract we don't see much of foreign policy mm. uh, so I mean the, the minister make have had also some uh, room of manoeuvre uh, to you know to work uh, on a more European, uh, if you want, uh, way than uh, than you know the scaring thing. To be honest, I do think uh, the Cottarelli um, designation, uh, I I would define it more of a provocation, if you want, and this is what worries me a lot is the sense that we don't understand. We show we don't understand the Italian society. What when the you say, we? Were.
0: You mean the president? You yeah, mean yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I'm no, no. Actually, I'm actually. <laughs> no, no. You're right.
2: You're right to say so. To to, to be more, uh, more uh, precise. I think it's a provocation, precisely for the reasons that uh, Natalie said before when she describes uh, his figure. Uh, he is the man of the finance, or at least it is per- he is perceived as the man of the finance, of the banking sector, of coming from the IMF. Yeah. I mean, this is a very important, you know, the scary IMF for Italy. So it is precisely what the majority of the Italians don't want.
0: So it's like Monty on steroids.
2: Absolutely. Monty on steroids, and... and Look, and there is another parallelism. You know, Berlusconi was obliged to resign. He didn't lose the majority in the Parliament already. So the Ita- Italians went already through this process somehow, where, you know, the electorate uh, was not uh, reflected in the, the Parliament during anymore. During
0: the Euro crisis. When yes, he, yeah, of course, when he was obliged to
2: resign. Yeah. And... The Italians had the feeling. The so many reception. people see
0: this as the rematch. That was the Absol- the markets and uh, European elites and exactly. finance exactly. against the people. Round one. And, and what
2: has happened? And now the
0: people that want to win. Round two. Feed
2: this narrative more and more. We are just feeding more and more this kind of narrative. Is Germany? Is France? is uh, the finance system is the banking system and uh, where is the sovereignty and the democracy of the country one of the
0: confusing things though for outsiders because round one as you just described it in 2012 was about the euro crisis and the markets the spreads were growing and a bit of body language from Angela Merkel and... and uh, yeah. And... Uh, South smiling and faces. ...was yes. enough to, to get rid of the mighty Berlusconi in spite of his, uh, his total control of the media. Um, but uh, since then, politics, you know, has been more about migration and, and Italy being abandoned. I mean, that was laid on top of it. And the central strand... Uh, which brings together the five-star movement and um, uh, the Lega is migration rather than the euro. Um, so it's, it's a bit weird now plunging back into a euro crisis, Mark, two, which is what you seem to be... Because a technocrat is not going to be the solution to the migration crisis, which people are talking about. It could be a way of reassuring the markets.
1: Well, I mean, look, on this, what I would say is is the following. I think at the, <clears throat> at the core of the agreement between the five-star movement and the Lega were, were an, a number of different issues, many of which actually are not policy-related, but they're political. I mean, firstly, the fact that they don't cannibalise one another. I mean, the country is split geographically, uh, with, uh, with the, the Firestone Movement dominant in, uh, in, yeah. the, in the south and the Lega dominant in the north. Uh, secondly, um, they have. I mean, you know, people say, well, you know, the flat tax and the reddito di cittadinanza, the citizenship. Uh, I'm not even sure how you call it. Uh, I mean, basically, you have a salary in virtue of being a citizen. The
0: thing is called universal basic income, is the technical term. right. Exactly. Okay. So
1: that, yeah, uh, they're not in principle mutually incompatible. I mean, of course, the point is they're incompatible, or rather, both are completely unrealistic because we don't have the money to <laughs> to do them. Um, but, uh, but, but in principle, they're not incompatible. Uh, I think that actually on, on migration, you're right, there are some points of convergence, although the Five Star Movement has not been so adamant and sanguine about this. So they, they rather left this issue uh, to, to the Lega. Um, so, you know, and, and what, but what they do share are a number of other, I think, uh, questions. I mean, firstly, that there is a degree of protectionism, sort of anti, you know, anti-trade, anti-markets, yeah. anti-neoliberalism, if you like. And I think what's interesting, particularly from a Lega standpoint, is that what we see in the Lega is a sort of genetic transformation that we see elsewhere in the right in Italy after the uh, global financial crisis, the right having shed, in many respects, its neoliberal elements and having returned back to a national socialist uh, past which is, of course, the scariest bit of of this all. But anyway, there are aspects there, and there are other aspects, both political and policy-wise, where there's a pure division of labor between the two. Um, Now, you know, my my view about all this is that I really think that they should have been given a a, a goal, Um, largely because, and Sylvia was hinting at this, actually the way in which the government was being configured was not as dramatic as many people thought, Uh, Some of the ministers that were being proposed were actually pretty decent people. Uh, and secondly, because... And
0: the Prime Minister had all these amazing degrees from Cambridge. <laughs>
1: from all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, fine. But, you know, the, the guy's probably... I mean, well, I can think of worse people around the place, frankly speaking, than, uh, than Mr. Conte. Um, and, and unless you give these people a chance to try out what they signed up to and what people voted for, you can, you're only going to feed the beast even further.
0: Yeah. So you agree with that? Absolutely. And what do you think the, the kind of big, you know, people from out you know, there's obviously a, an Italian psychodrama, and it does seem that we're entering a new era of Italian politics. The established parties, whether it's Berlusconi's party or, or the Parti Democratico on the, on the left seem to be um, going the way of the established parties in France and other countries as these new forces dominate the political spectrum. But there is also this kind of wider European stakes, which we're seeing, you know, through some of the the anxiety in financial markets around the euro and and what's happening on that. There's some worry in foreign policy communities about Russia. I mean, Sylvia, do you want to lay out what some of the things are which we could get from this new Italy?
2: Well, uh, the only reason why I think uh, uh, I could somehow justify. Mattarella's decision and his very much a short-term vision is uh, you know, to try to uh, not uh, allow the spread to fly so high. He said very, very clearly that his uh, intention was to protect Italian investors and uh, Italian, the investments of the Italians. Uh, but this of course it's, uh, it's the reaction you would have from the market in the very short term because they feel to be reassured. <laughs> which by the way, in the moment you see you don't have the majority right after the elections, we could have had uh, this without waiting for 22, uh, sorry 82 or 83 days as we are now. because the reason why the spread went so up is because of the time it took uh, to get a, a government. And, and the all uncertainty around it, and maybe also some fears about uh, Italy leaving the euro. But that could have been addressed in a more, in a much more different way. On Russia, uh, I think I've already said it before uh it may have been uh, very much uh, in the in the in the words the in, the in the attitude in Brussels, but I don't think that at the end they would uh, would have succeeded in lifting the the sanctions, so I very much agree with uh, Natalie's point that they should have had a chance to govern i mean this is the democracy we cannot define democracy just uh, when we like the people who got the majority of the votes. I think uh, this is uh, really a question of where we are going. And as I said before, it, it already happened to Italy in 2012, and it shouldn't have happened again. Uh, my fear is that, and I think this, is, this will be the end result, and we will pay for it, is that at the next elections, be in October or be in, in February, that these are, you know, the scenarios, I think, uh, the most credible ones, we will have the League, not not the Five Star Movement, but the League gaining, gaining, gaining a lot of votes. And we will end up, most probably, with a centre-right government, which is not... Which does not have much centre in it. <laughs> which, exactly... <laughs> Forget about Berlusconi, in the sense, he will be there, but the leader will be someone else, and will be Matteo Salvini. As I said before, very much in the language of Trump, of Orban, of Le Pen. If you, say, if you saw the uh, tweet from Le Pen today, it's, it scares me, to be honest. And uh, it also will change, perhaps, the alliances in, uh, in Europe, and uh, we won't have uh, a split, east-west split that we are having now, that we are um, witnessing now. I do think that Orbán will try to reach out uh, not only the eastern countries, not only Austria, but also Rome. And that's why my view: the figure
0: Salvini, Orbán, access there there against in, an could, access of um,
2: there could be. There which could goes be.
0: against machorn Merkel.
2: there could be and um uh, absolutely yeah
0: and as we go into the european elections <laughs> it's uh the timing's very good for that because it will it would create a a a, uh, a template for it and do you, do either of you two think that there is any hope that over the next six months or so you know while this technocratic government is is uh is uh doing its work that there could also be a reinvention of the of the political center in italy because in france you know it took marine le pen to become a real political force to to create macron um and in italy you now have your le pen moment (laughs) in fact even more so (laughs) as uh after this election um could that mean that there is a real sort of generational change and a and a regrouping of uh, and the de- sort of development of an anti-establishment um uh but more kind of open uh, political uh force within italy
1: i mean i don't know what suga thinks about this but i mean i my my, my hunch is that Um, that would have been a possibility had uh, the five-star Lega government come about, meaning there would have been a possibility uh, on the one hand of uh, Renzi, whom, uh, let's face it, he is not a centre-left leader, he is a centre-right leader. He just uh, happens to be in the wrong party. (laughs) Um, In a sense, becoming the heir To the centre right, uh, because ultimately Berlusconi is, in different shapes and forms, in his on his way out. Uh, So he could have captured that space. Um, On on the left side, uh, this would have probably meant, as I said, a split in the Democrat Party and probably growing tensions within the Five Star Movement. uh, Precisely due to the fact that they were in government with an extreme right-wing party, and that probably would have led to a split in the Five Star Movement and the recreation of the centre-left. And then, of course, you have your, your right, fine, and we already know what, what that looks like. The problem is that all this, particularly both on the centre side uh, and on the left side, take this takes time. And six months is simply not enough. So I fear that uh, whereas it would have been a possibility had this government come about and lasted one year, two years, three years, who knows, uh, voting now in six months basically means that the only organized political force is on the extreme right.
2: Totally. If I may add, uh, I'm very pessimistic on the opportunity for the center-left to regain consensus. I think they had an opportunity right after the elections, which they didn't take because their leader, Matteo Renzi, refused to, and that was to have a government together with the Five Star Movement. In my view, very personal, that was a mistake, uh, all this would not have happened, okay. and uh, uh, but uh, I think uh, there were many reasons, and mostly unfortunately, my view was very personal on the on the personality of of the leader of the of the democratic party, and who the day after of the elections, he already preempted any possibility to have that kind of of coalition without even listening to his base. He said, "I will resign, but I dictate the line of the party, and the line of the party is." No coalition with the Five Star Movement. That I think uh, is uh, the mother of all mistakes that, and the reason why we are at this stage today. And I think they not only they don't I don't see like a prominent figure in the horizon, but I think uh, they will pay it not only for years but uh, like five years, uh, the time of the legislature, but even for more
0: so um we we've got a few more minutes left uh, before we end. We talked about some of the sort of uh, international implications on the euro on Russia. The other area is obviously migration and how Italy is going to play that i don't know if one of you wants to tell us what's likely to come out if if, uh, if there is a right wing government in Italy what it means for the future of Dublin, of um, uh, and also of our relations with other countries. I mean, mm-hmm. we had quite a, a big uh, revolution in European foreign policy towards Libya, led by Miniti in the last government. I mean, what, what does a, a Lega, which, by the way, the Lega, Lega appreciated
1: pretty much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You know, frankly speaking, I think when it comes to migration, a uh, right-wing government. Uh, is not going to be, in terms of management of migration, is not going to be able to achieve something radically different from what Miniti achieved. I mean, it's difficult to imagine anyone yeah. more to the right uh, than, than Miniti within the Democrat Party in this respect. So
0: for people who weren't following it that closely... Do well, one, basically,
1: wouldn't... sort of uh, coming, uh, you know, reaching, quote-unquote, deals uh, with different uh, factions and militias in, um, in Libya... Uh, so as to provide them incentives, let's say financial incentives, <laughs> to control migration. Uh, well, and by the
2: way, creating a humanitarian
1: crisis in, in Libya, Libya itself, without uh, precedence, of course. And, but it did mean that, I mean, looking at it from an extreme right-wing perspective, that in terms of the numbers of arrivals in Italy, they dramatically fell. Mm? Uh, so, what is it that uh, you know? What more can an extreme right-wing government do? Um, I think that they can, uh, so they they can't do much when it comes to the external dimension of, of migration. Uh, so that, you know, dealing, be it with transit countries, be it with origin countries. Um, what they can do is work more on the border management side, which translated in Italian terms means an end of Operation Sophia. Uh, it doesn't change the number of arrivals. It just means that more people die at sea. So
0: Operation Sophia is the... Uh, search and rescue it's the in, uh... it's
1: the EU operation which essentially became a europeanization of the old italian initiative of mare nostrum yeah. so they can do that uh, more people dying at sea it doesn't change much the number of uh, of arrivals uh, and secondly they can get really nasty at home uh, meaning all sorts of Rather than integration policies and measures, disintegration policies and measures. And already, if you look at the government contract, the fact that uh, with the Liga they inserted the fact that uh, children and migrants are not allowed to go to kindergartens. Uh, you know, they they're they shouldn't be subsidised by the state to go to kindergartens. I mean, you can you can you can imagine the police getting nasty, uh, and and the nastiness in terms of you know beating up migrants on the streets being publicised. So you can, you can see that coming, but you don't see dramatic changes in terms of migration management policies because there's not much that Italy can do.
0: Okay. Do you want to add well, anything? Well,
1: I, I can
2: say that uh, you know Salvini, one of the promise in the, during the campaign was for Salvini to forcibly uh, reject 500,000 uh, migrants from Italy and uh, which most probably would have not uh, be possible to do. But uh, that's the narrative uh, that he had created and uh, he already went back to this saying, okay, we are not in the government but the the number of migrants is now increasing. 2,000 people coming from Tunisia is the news of the other day. So you see, we were not able to implement our program, and you will see another invasion of migrants, and this translates into votes for October or February, whenever it's going to be.
0: So maybe uh, to bring this to an end, um, I can ask you a series of questions very simple questions you can answer in a single word both of you so in if we come back in a year's time and we um record our podcast on the state of european politics uh based on what's happening in italy is italy going to still be in the euro Is italy going to be in the euro yes yes and will there still be sanctions in place yes all of them
1: i think so I hope, or rather not, if, I hope not on Iran, though. <laughs> <laughs> or rather, if they will be, it will not be caused by Italy.
0: And um, will the Dublin system have totally broken down? The Dublin system is the thing which forces uh, countries which receive migrants to, to keep them there and deal, them, deal with them there rather than letting them... It would have country. been
2: interesting to have the discussion of the next uh, European Council in the end of June, because this is uh, the topic that uh, leaders yeah. are going to discuss, and having uh, had the new government, I mean the Penta League government, uh, would have been interesting to see their position. To be honest, a technocrat government? I don't think that they will make a strong voice on this. But in this. a year's
0: time, there'll presumably be a new a new. Uh, uh, right I think there won't be
1: a change, because the point is you can only change Dublin if Italy manages to make friends. It's Italy that wants to change Dublin. Uh, the point is, is a populist right-wing government able to make friends in Europe so as to convince the Germans and the Swedes and what have you to revise Dublin? Probably not.
0: So, to bring it back down to a single conclusion next year, quite worrying for cosmopolitans in Italy but the European Union will remain the same <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely
0: Okay well, it's been a really interesting discussion, we'll have to come back next year and see uh, how right you were, but uh, between now and then, if people want to um, read more about these things, I don't know uh, if either of you want to recommend things that you found interesting to read on this, what's on your bookshelf for the moment Sylvia? Uh, it's a
2: book, I don't remember the author, but it's a book about leadership and what it takes uh, for a leader to be a real leader. And, uh, and I think uh, it is a much needed uh, reading, uh, which I would suggest a lot uh, to many of our so-called
1: leaders who are not behaving like that.
0: And what about you, Natalie?
1: I must say, I'm, I'm, I am generally only tend to read novels uh, these days, especially before going to bed, because everything else just uh, <laughs> makes me despair. Uh, and what I'm currently reading at the moment is Catherine Stockett's The Help about racial segregation in America.
0: OK, and I'm also going to recommend a, a novel. I might actually have recommended it before on the podcast, but feels like a good time to... Rec- in fact, I might even recommend two books, given that... There are two people who um, have had a big impact on me who have died in the last few days. One is Philip Roth, um, whose books are absolutely wonderful. But um, if there's one book to recommend out of uh, all of them, I would uh, recommend The Counter-Life, which was an extraordinary it's uh, one of the few books I read that really hurt my brain, actually, because it's very complicated to follow. But it's uh, it's an incredibly interesting and thoughtful book, which, as well as having a really deep narrative, also has some of the, the most interesting stuff I've ever read on the Israel-Palestine question in it. So there is something for <laughs> foreign policy wongs, even though that's not the, the goal of Philip Roth when he was writing it. Um, and we've also just heard that we've lost Pierre Hazner, who was a former council member at ECFR, who's an incredible... Uh, thinker um, and he wrote many many very interesting books but one of his last books was called The Revenge of the Passions which came out in 2015 and it was an incredibly prescient book describing a lot of the things that we've had to live through over the last couple of years uh, through Brexit, Trump and this Italian election I think could be seen as a, a revenge of the passions as well. So that brings this discussion to an end. If you've enjoyed listening to us, please do let other people know about it, either by writing about it on your Facebook page or ours, tweeting about it. But above all, racing to the ratings and review page on whatever platform that you're using to listen to us on, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever it is, give us a rating and a review because it will drive traffic to the site. We're putting links up to all the publications that we mentioned on our website at www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. But for now, from Natalie Tocci, Silvia Francescon, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of our podcast is Jonathan Hakenbroich, and our editor is Catalina Botel atsinaro